Pandora's box, a box of chocolates Would I know to stay away? What's it? Pandora's box, a box of chocolates Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe That means I have half a mind to stay it's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN, FM Ann Arbor, also WCBN.org. Hi there, it's Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture every Thursday evening at 6.30. Sometimes the food aspect is quite peripheral, but here's the thing. We're going to be talking about some very sweet things that are not necessarily so sweet. You know what I'm saying? First of all, if somebody said they were a sugar man, would you think, oh good, I get some candy? Probably not. But here's the thing. Rodriguez, you've probably heard a lot about him lately, have you? He's been talked about a lot lately. A Detroit musician from the early 70s. Put out a couple of albums. Folks from Motown played on it. The album didn't go anywhere at the time. Little did he know, many years later, that he had become a star in South Africa. Little did South Africans know that he was not dead. And so there's a documentary about this this whole story called Searching for Sugar Man. It was at the Michigan Theater for a while. Other places around Michigan. Now, here's the thing. Not only is he not dead, but we'll get to that in a second. Searching for Sugar Man, the documentary about Rodriguez, has been nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. Winners will be announced on February 24th. And in the meantime, it's also been nominated as a documentary For the documentary prize at the Directors Guild of America Awards, these winners will be announced on February 2nd. As I was saying, not only is Rodriguez not, in fact, dead, but he is, in fact, going to be performing at the Ann Arbor Folk Festival later this month. In the meantime, Sugar Man... Sugar Man, won't you have it? Cause I'm tired of these scenes For a blue coin Won't you bring back All those colors to my dreams Silver magic ships you carry Jumpers, Coke, Sweet Mary
Sugar man, won't you hurry? Cause I'm tired of these scenes. For the blue coin, won't you bring back all those colors to my dreams? Silver magic ships you carry, jumpers, coke, sweet Mary Jane. Sugar man, met a false friend on a lonely, dusty road. Lost my heart when I found it, it had turned to dead black coal. And off he goes. So all all accounts suggest that Rodriguez, who does the song Sugar Man, is a really nice guy. I don't know about the Sugar Man himself, though. I don't know if I would come too close to that guy. But sometimes sugar is not so sweet, eh? Well, speaking of which, molasses. Now, molasses sounds good. It's delicious. You can make molasses, cookies, and this and that and the other thing. But you can also make disasters out of them. And I, you figured I was going to say that, right? See, here's the thing. It was... On January 15th, 1919, this is almost kind of sort of the anniversary of that, the Purity Distilling Company built a tank in 1915 on the waterfront of Boston's North End, a populous neighborhood of Italian immigrants just a few blocks from the city's financial and downtown shopping districts. It had a diameter of 90 feet. It was 50 feet high. The iron tank could hold about two and a half million gallons of molasses, ready to be distilled into rum or industrial alcohol. No one is sure what caused the disaster. Shortly after noon on January 15, 1919, workers and neighbors had complained about the tank leaking for years, so the owner painted it brown to hide the leaks. There you go. But the disaster was likely not due to overfilling because the tank didn't merely give way. It exploded. The local temperature had risen from 2 degrees above zero to the 40s in a couple of days. It's possible the rapid heating started a fermentation process, or that newly added warm molasses somehow reacted with colder molasses lower on the tank, in the tank. Whatever caused the explosion, the tank gave out a dull roar, and then its two sides flew outward with a mighty blast. One huge piece knocked out the support of an elevated railway, buckling the tracks. An engineer stopped his train just in time to avoid an even worse disaster. Fragments of, fragments of metal landed 200 feet away. Besides sending shrapnel whizzing through the air, the explosion flattened people, horses, and buildings with a huge shock wave. As some tried to get to their feet, the sudden vacuum where the tank once was created once was created a reverse shock wave, sucking air in and sucking air in and knocking people, animals, and vehicles around once more and shaking homes off their foundations. That was just the first few seconds. The real terror was about to begin. The tank had been filled to near capacity, and 2.3 million gallons of thick, 
heavy, odorous molasses formed a sticky tsunami that started at 25 or 30 feet high and coursed through the streets at 35 miles per hour. Victims could not outrun it. It knocked them into buildings and other obstacles, swept them off their feet, and pulled them under to drown in molasses. When it was over, more than a score of people had died. Seven or eight times that number suffered injuries. The mess took months to clean, and the legal issues even longer. It was the height of the post-World War I Red Scare, and the distillery blamed anarchists, who they say knew the molasses was intended for alcohol to make military ammunition. You use alcohol to make military ammunition? I need to look that up. The victims and their survivors blamed the distillery for faulty construction and unsafe operation. More than 100 separate lawsuits dragged on until 1925, six years later, when the U.S. Industrial Alcohol Company, the distillery's owner, finally settled the claims for nearly $1 million in 1925 money, about $12 million in today's money. On warm days for decades after, the neighborhood smelled of molasses. The molasses disaster of 1919, folks, January 15th, 1919. Watch that bottle of molasses very, very carefully. In the meantime, got to play something to cheer the people up after all that that disastrous molasterous. We got to go with something like this, don't you think, uh, Spike Jones?
That's a refreshingly disturbing record. That was Spike Jones, Molasses, Molasses. It's icky, sticky goo. It's dangerous stuff, too, I'm telling you. That verse about the guy in the f- dying in the first for I didn't realize. I didn't realize. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a show about food on WCBN, also on WCBN.org simultaneously. In about 15 minutes, Arbel will help us all to face the music and face the walls of molasses that at times come showering us with their mixed metaphors. Now, in the meantime, I was talking to Mars, who was one of the folks behind the wonderful Robot Pasta show on Saturday evening, and she brought to mind the concept slow as molasses in January. It wasn't so slow in Boston that day, I'll tell you that. But from the website called Historically Speaking, there are some thoughts about that phrase. In Gone with the Wind, Scarlett O'Hara chides Prissy for being as slow as molasses in January. In the King Vidor movie Hallelujah, released in 1929, you'll hear you're slower than cold molasses in wintertime, just in over an hour into the movie. Thirty-four years before that, though, John Adrian wrote a piece for the Detroit Free Press on 1886, in 1886, thank you, that discussed Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Part of his review said, The city is also noted as being somewhat of a slow town. While we brand the villain who says so, we must admit that its streetcars are slower than molasses in winter and are as scarce as hen's teeth. And the Chicago Daily Tribune ran a story in 1872 about the secret investigation of the credit mobilier... Mobilier? Scandal? Scandal? It's secret. The pronunciation is secret. Anyway, it was a scandal. The newspaper reported that most of them had the matter under advisement for seven or eight months before they could satisfy their consciences as to the moral bearing of the transaction, showing that the average congressional perception of right and wrong is much slower than molasses in January. Don't I know it. So, after all that, let's hear some good news about sweet things, shall we? Here's uh, some uh, Fats Domino. But I love to hold you in my arms Only you can thrill me like you do So hold that kiss for a long, long while You know I love you, honey child I love to hear you whisper low You know you really thrill me so Only you can thrill me like you do So please don't put me on that ship you know I cannot help myself I am happy as a baby boy You ain't nothing but a bundle of joy Only you can feel me like you do Bend your legs and pigeon toes You know I love you, goodness knows But I love to hold you in my arms No one can feel me like you do So hold that kiss for a long, long while You know I love you, honey child I am happy as a baby boy You ain't nothing but a bundle of joy Only you can feel me like you do Bend your legs and pigeon toes you know I love you, goodness knows. Oh, thanks, Fats Domino. That's a happy tune. Yeah, yeah. Honey child. Honey's sweet, right? Sweeter than exploding molasses. 
There is a Molasses River in Michigan, by the way. It's just under 17 miles long. It's in Gladwin County. It's a tributary of the Titabawassee River, part of the Saginaw River watershed. It may flood sometimes, but hopefully it won't blow up anytime soon. In the meantime, some exciting news from Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where we are. This I read by this is a story by Lizzie Alfs in AnnArbor.com. The giant fiberglass egg, the Humpty Dumpty, is back in Ann Arbor on the top of the Cavern Club. Perhaps you remember the six-foot-tall Humpty Dumpty, painted maize and blue for patriotic reasons. It was stolen in 1998. The owner, Mick Easton, offered a $300 reward. Three months later, a pickup truck pulled up outside the club, dropped Humpty on the sidewalk, and drove away. I think I don't remember that being the, how the last verse went, but he was safe without a scratch. He was removed from the roof again five years ago and placed in storage while there was an upper deck being built. So back we are to see Humpty Dumpty back in Ann Arbor at last. And how about the origins of Humpty Dumpty, you must be wondering. Me too. There are various theories about it, says Wikipedia. One was advanced by Catherine Thomas in 1930 and adopted by Robert Ripley, naturally. It posits that Humpty Dumpty is King Richard III of England, depicted in Tudor histories and particularly in Shakespeare's play, as humpbacked and who was defeated despite his armies at Bosworth Field in 1485. However, the term humpback was not recorded until the 18th century, and no direct evidence linking the rhyme with the historical figure has been advanced. So, forget that. But, from 1996, the website of the Colchester Tourist Board attributed the origin of the rhyme to a cannon used from the Church of St. Mary at the Wall, by the Royalist Defenders in the Siege of 1648. Ah, the Siege of 1648. In 1648, Colchester was a walled town with a castle and several churches, and it was protected by a city wall. The story given was that a large cannon, which the website claimed was colloquially called Humpty Dumpty, was strategically placed on the wall. A shot from a parliamentary cannon succeeded in damaging the wall beneath Humpty Dumpty, which caused the cannon to tumble to the ground. The royalists, or cavaliers, known as all the king's men, right, attempted to raise the cannon onto another part of the wall. But Humpty Dumpty was so heavy that all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. In his 2008 book, Pop Goes the Weasel, The Secret Meanings of Nursery Rhymes, author Albert Jack claimed there were two other verses supporting this claim. Elsewhere, he claimed to have found them in an old dusty library in an even older book but did not state what the book was or where it was found. It has been pointed out that the two additional verses are not in the style of the 17th century or the existing rhyme, and that they do not fit with the earliest printed version of the rhyme, which do not mention horses and men. So forget about that, too. But Humpty Dumpty is probably not going to fall from the Cavern Club. He's probably pretty well uh, put on with some guy wires and some... uh, wire guys and things like that. So it'll probably be nice and safe above the Cavern Club. The Humpty Dumpty is back in Ann Arbor. Meanwhile, that reminds me of the story I have to tell at least once a year. A few years ago, there was an Elias Big Boy on Washtenaw in Ypsilanti Township. You remember that one with the huge big boy on a giant tower of sorts with a giant hamburger spinning slowly around with a frozen grin, that grin frozen in place forever, sheer happiness without interruption, until one day the hamburger broke loose from Big Boy's hand and fell off and rolled down Washtenaw Avenue. This is a true story. Now, I've written a little uh, nursery rhyme for that. Here we go. 
Uh, <clears throat> big boy's burger had a big bun. Big boy's burger, it got undone. Oh, this is good. All of the firemen and defenders of the law couldn't stop it from rolling down Washtana. All right, kids, get to bed now. I want you in bed now. Sorry. Really, that was something. Now, in the meantime, speaking of disasters, we were talking about the molasses disaster earlier. What about the eggplant that ate Chicago? Really, now. The best part about the eggplant that ate Chicago, unlike the molasses disaster, it didn't really happen. Just like sugar You better watch out for The eggplant that ate Chicago Just like sugar You better watch out for The eggplant that ate Chicago Boy, he may eat your city soon Wackadoo, wackadoo, wackadoo You better watch out for The eggplant that ate Chicago If he's still hungry The whole country's doomed It's in It was sweet. It was just like sugar, like sugar, man, sugar, man. Got to watch out for that sweet stuff. But what if that record, what if, what would that record sound like if it was, uh, bear with me here. What if that record here was slow as molasses? Let's uh, give a listen to that for a little bit, shall we? Let's uh, hear that. Sugar, that satisfied your curiosity it sure did mine 
That was Dr. West's Medicine Show and Junk Band. I believe that was from 1966. One of the best records of that year. One of the greatest recording artists of the 60s. Let's wrap things up with a little bit uh, more info here. The DIA, the Detroit Institute of Arts, is displaying a collection of early American silver, which has not been on view for 10 years. The collection features work by Boston silversmith and otherwise very famous guy Paul Revere. The collection was relegated to storage in 2002 when the renovation of the museum's historic 1927 building led to the closing of the American colonial galleries. Lack of funding meant the silver collection had to remain in storage when the museum reopened in 2007. But a group called the Americana Foundation out of Novi awarded the DIA a substantial grant for new research on the silver collection and to support construction of a new state-of-the-art exhibition cases. The new installation includes 59 of the most important examples of early American silver at the DIA and two important late 18th century Chinese export bowls. Highlights include a tankard from about 1695, a rare drinking vessel made in Boston by Edward Winslow, little did you know about the molasses disaster to come, a sugar bowl with a cover from about 1755, made in New York by Meyer Myers. Myers was the most important Jewish silversmith active in colonial America. The sugar bowl was donated to the DIA in 1955 by members of the Jewish community of Detroit to honor the American Jewish tercentenary, 1654 to 1954. Also a sugar basket from about 1780 made in Boston by Paul Revere, a teapot made in Boston by Paul Revere in the early 1790s, and a punch bowl from about 1790, a Chinese export of porcelain made for the American market with Masonic markings, secret meanings, and sugar. Not so sweet. This has been Pandora's Light... light I, don't, I don't know where that syllable was going. This is Pandora's ball peen, ha- this is ball peen Hammer. This is Pandora's Banana. Banana. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike. Our will help us to face the music in mere moments. In the meantime, Banana. Thank you for Jack Klugman for being who you are as an actor and Tony Randall too. This is your song, guys. This is your moment. Let's go out on this one. It's sweet. It's got uh, potassium, I think. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Keep on listening and do not, whatever you do, stop doing that. the garden and the barn, picking fruits and vegetables all day, say. But when all my work is through, then I'm craving more for you. Listen, dear, to what I've got to say. When I'm picking the beets, dear, that's when my heart beats for you. When I'm picking blueberries, that's when I feel blue for you. When I'm picking those that's the only time I cry for you But when banana skins are falling I'll come sliding back to you When I'm picking tomatoes That's when I catch up to you When I'm picking sweet corn, dear I know you're so sweet and true When I'm picking hot peppers Then my heart just burns with love when banana skins are falling, I'll come slide.
It's 7 o'clock, and Mike was right. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Time for Face the Music. Let's start with something from Kid Ori. That's Edward Kid Ori and his Creole Jazz Band. (laughs) 